And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck. And of course, your questions are an important part of this program, so email them to us at spitzersuniversityw10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites. There's three of them, manchestercenter.com, thecrediblecatholic.com, and purposefuluniverse.com as well. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on the EWTN On Demand page and on our EWTN YouTube channel. And we recently added Parable, a very popular series uh, featuring Father Marius from the CFRs uh, on our On Demand page. So check that out. There's so many programs there that people aren't aware of that they can watch at any time on our On Demand page, right on our own EW10.com, as well as going to our YouTube channel as well. And of course, we've got Cardinal Virtues, going to be talking about those today from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available naturally through the catalog. Hopefully you're, you're buying the second or third edition at this point. And of course, the book of the month for May, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration by Dr. Ray Garendi. You've got to read this book to believe it, because Dr. Ray has some great insights. And speaking of insights, we turn to our old friend Father Spitzer, and it's good to see you, Father, though some tough times here recently, right? Yes, indeed. I, I just feel for all those families in Texas, and um, I, we just uh, need to pray for, uh, well, of course, we don't have to pray for those little kids, but the parents and the families that survive mm -hmm. them, because the little kids are right with God in heaven. But we all begin with a prayer in the name right. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. Uh, we ask you, Lord, um, as our nation suffers through yet another tragedy, that you bless these uh, families in Texas, that whole community uh, that suffers uh, so much today. Um, please uh, help our nation to return to a, a sense of a real peace and and justice and, and love for one another. Ask you, Lord, to send your Holy Spirit down upon us this day, Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray Amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And with that, Father, let me, let me ask you, you know, we, we live in a culture today, obviously people talk about all the guns that are out there, people talk about all the division that's out there, and, and mm -hmm. it seems to be these kind of things happen more today than they used to. Uh, why do you think these kinds of things happen today more? Well, I think there's three things going on. Um, number one, obviously, the, the most immediate, uh, proximate thing is, is um, the COVID um, seclusion for a long, long time. I think it has disturbed people individually and collectively, and I think that's certainly a problem. Uh, number two, I don't have to say it, but there is a moral decline in this country, um, and there is a detachment even from the idea of being moral. It's not just that we don't know what morality is or that we've relativized morality. We really are emotionally detached from wanting to be good and to follow our consciences. And in that sense, I think there's almost, it's almost demonic 
uh, what is uh, taking place, both individually and collectively um, on, on that level. Because when we stop following our consciences, not just individually, but collectively as a nation, we've got a real problem that's compounding. The third problem, everybody knows of it. Religion is slipping off the map. The one protection, the one way out, the Christian religion that, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, in, in our, uh, you know, view, um, you know, the, Jesus Christ gives us not only the message of peace, but gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us through our baptism uh, the, the means uh, of, of um, helping um, to move into the kingdom of salvation, to obey his edict, to uh, love one another as he has loved us. Um, uh, we are detaching ourselves, uh, not only from Jesus Christ, we're detaching ourselves from God. We're detaching ourselves even from our own transcendence. We're becoming materialized by with each passing moment. And I think, uh, um, as you know, when religion declines, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, suicides, and antisocial aggressivity, what we've been talking about, increases by double and triple um, uh, when uh, that religion begins to decline. And that is going to continue to sort of move these people to do these frantic, terrible, uh, tragic things. And the antisocial aggressivity, I underline that five times. Mm -hmm. Religion is a primary preventative of that. Uh, following a moral teaching and following your conscience is a preventative, a major individual and social preventative of, of that. And now you top it off with the COVID isolation and you've got the trifecta. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am not surprised. Frankly, I, I hate to say this because I don't want to be a predictor of doom, but there will probably be more incidents like this, not just because of the copycat phenomenon, mm -hmm. but because we are literally <laughs> breeding this by the decline um, of religion of you know moral uh, conscience and 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 you know the COVID seclusion and uh, frankly our antisocial attitudes cultivated by overactivity on social media uh, we just don't have any empathy with one. we we don't have peer to peer face to face relationships I mean we're at the dinner table texting each other you know so I mean this this we live in a culture that that's literally a breeding ground for all of this so I I'm not surprised all you need is a person who's kind of on the verge mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, something pathological or sociopathological. And the next thing you know, um, just, uh, you know, um, that guy's pushed over the line. And all the major preventatives from religion and from society, from social um, uh, discourse and from, uh, mm -hmm. and from uh, conscience, they're all gone. Uh, we've mowed those down in a demonic style. Uh, what's left is they're all by them. Uh, they're all by themselves, and there's no s solution other than shoot little innocent children. Right. I mean, it's just tragic. It's horrible. Um, it's demonic. Um, right. And and um, you know, all I can say is, uh, um, if we're going to stop this in the long term, we better turn back to God again. We better start listening to our conscience, mm -hmm. and we better start getting some empathetic discourse with one another, and not just you know. You know, involvement by text right. uh, and social social media. So that's my thoughts. And uh, right, you know, um, I was just wondering too with some of these things too, because uh, you know, you wonder with some of these p situations where people in the past might have said, well, they m maybe he got into a fight with his family member, and 
he shot somebody, he shot his grandmother in this particular case, and then decides that his life's not worth living, so he ends it on his own, uh, as opposed yeah. to, uh, you know, incorporating himself into some larger uh, bludgeoning of society, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I wonder w whether we're d also dealing with a certain amount of, like you said, the copycat and, and the demonic, mm -hmm. but the idea of, you know, years ago when people were asked what they wanted to be like little kids, they say firemen and policemen and yeah. whatever it is, now, they, and now the answer is I want to be famous. And to some degree, yeah. I wonder whether that, that kind of world we live in, mm -hmm. social media, where it matters, how many followers, and mm -hmm. who knows your name, and people feeling like they're so mm -hmm. isolated, like you're saying, and unimportant mm -hmm. that everybody wants to be important. Yeah, no, I, I think that's obviously a part of it. I think, you know, le what I call level two identity, purpose in life, which is to be famous, mm -hmm. uh, that's a good way of summarizing level two, mm -hmm. uh, has become very, very dominant in about 73% of our culture. And I, I think because it is that dominant, um, it, it's not surprising that someone can move to an extreme like this. We have paved the way in the culture. We have to take responsibility as a whole for not cultivating religion, for allowing secular society to invade us on every front and accepting it. We accept the, you know, the, the secularization from traditional media. We accept the secularization uh, from our peers. We accept the, the, the secularization from um, social media. We accept the, the, the secularization uh, you know, in the organization and school place and with all the wokish philosophies that try to substitute a deconstructionistic Marxist ethic in, in the place of something with real significance and substance for the dignity, the eternal dignity, the transcendental dignity of the human person, the true dignity of the human person, as if to say that our, our identity politics could replace our transcendentality, mm -hmm. our desire for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home, our eternal nature and our soul, as if to say that our, our moral conscience could be substituted by some woke philosophy. Well, I have to tell you, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's just detestable what we have done, but we've accepted it. We've gone like little lambs to the slaughter. And we gotta wake up. Let, let's, let's wake up from woke right now. And let's just uh, basically uh, uh, get back to ourselves, our true selves, our transcendent selves, our moral selves. Let's get back to God. Let's get back to our religion so that we can actually find our true selves, tr find our true culture to become, at, uh, you know, at last uh, the transcendent mm -hmm. moral beings to which we are called by Jesus Christ. Let's go back to that. Wokeism is such a fake message, and, and, and it's so superficial. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, on the cutting edge uh, of woke, of course, on the other side of it, is, is violence. It's, it's the, the, the sort of Marxist do anything you can. The end justifies the means to get to the social culture that you want to get to. And, and of course, once you start letting the, the end justify the means, once you start buying into that, use any means possible, as you know, uh, what's going to come out of that is not just a, a chaos, but the dilapidation of morality and violence within the culture. And right. so we see it. So we see it. Right. Absolutely. The other story, which uh, originally was probably going to be the lead story before this tragedy occurred, and we wanted to make sure we, mm -hmm. we acknowledged it and addressed it, was the, uh, the standing up by Archbishop Corleone, uh, wow. the letter he sent out to Nancy Pelosi, mm -hmm. obviously about not receiving 
communion and in an interview uh, with their own Eric Rosales on uh, on uh, News Nightly, uh, Corleone said that the politicizing the Eucharist can even occur in reverse because he always gets accused of politicizing it. One can receive communion yeah. as a means to furthering political agenda when one is motivated for that reason, so it cuts both ways. What was your take on the step he took? Uh, well, first of all, I think he was perfectly justified in taking that step. I mean, as a teacher within the church, he has the responsibility not just to teach positive doctrine, but to teach people what is false. The idea that you can claim time after time after time that you are a faithful Catholic, a devout Catholic, and hold that you are going to actively promote abortion, you know, to, to through the ninth month, so that you know you are killing a perfectly viable infant, even if you might think for the first trimester, which is totally false, of course, that, that you know, that, that's not a human being that's viable or something. Uh, but, I mean, I cannot possibly believe that you can say that for the last two, uh, two trimesters in your conscience that you think that this is okay mm -hmm. to kill this human being, uh, this being that's about ready to be born, and not just to actively support it individually in your own family, but to promote it actively and politically so that you can you know, promote millions of children dying every year and say in the same breath you're a faithful Catholic? A devout Catholic? Mm -hmm. This is such a misconception. It is so wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, if Archbishop uh, Cordelione, you know, if a person was going around saying, hey, I'm a faithful Catholic and look at me, you know, I don't believe in the Trinity and, and uh, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, right? Hazel Motes, I believe in the Church of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. And you're going around, somebody has the right to say, uh, Hazel, you're wrong. Uh, this is not uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's part of the church. So, I mean, the idea of, you know, Archbishop Cardellione doing this, he had every right to do it, and he's publicly correcting a manifest deceit and misconception which has been forwarded intentionally, and as you just pointed out, yeah. also politically, for, uh, maybe for... Uh, you know, I don't want to judge your motives, but maybe for political expediency uh, in the public airways. Uh, so why not correct it in the public airways? Mm -hmm. So I, I think he had the right. I think as a teacher, uh, he can easily adjudicate himself as somebody who needs to do this to correct the misconception. I mean, you now have these uh, groups of Catholics who call them Catholics for abortion, mm -hmm. Catholics for the promotion of abortion. Are you kidding me? Right. That's an oxymoron. It's an absolute oxymoron. And then if you top it off with faithful, devout Catholics right, right. to you know to actively promote abortion, I mean that's so oxymoronic it, it just it, it, it's inconceivable. It's the right. Church and of Jesus and Christ. And like you said, in, in a way, Christ, it's yeah. it's what's so evil about it and demonic about it in that fact is you're wrapping yourself in the church as a defense for mm -hmm. saying it's the church is saying it's okay. If you want to go and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic, uh, but, you know, when it comes to this, I leave the church behind and this is what I believe. You're obviously yeah. still wrong, but at least you're not sitting yeah. there trying to act like there, there's, yeah. uh, there's no separation between what uh, the church believes and what mm -hmm. you're espousing. In fact, Rob yeah. Royal, 
made a point as a follow-up from his Catholic thing. He said, most people oh. today think a scandal is merely the kind of thing you see in the supermarket tabloids while you're waiting to check out Johnny Depp and Amber stuff, which is on TV yeah. all the time now. But scandal mm -hmm. is a theological, in a theological sense, means you become a stumbling block to others. How many other yeah. Catholic politicians and public figures have been led to ignore the church's moral teachings because of Nancy Pelosi? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think there are lots of people, as I said, there are groups being formed every day, Catholics for the promotion of abortion. You just, you almost want to fall off your chair. Uh, it's just so false. It's just so wrong. It's just so oxymoronic. It's, but nevertheless, it's there. And uh, um, I think Archbishop Corleone not only had every right to correct it, I think in his own conscience, he truly believed he had to correct it. And he has to follow his conscience, too, as a teacher, a shepherd of the church who takes seriously the commission of Jesus to him as shepherd, as bishop. A shout out to a couple of the bishops who came out officially supporting mm -hmm. uh, uh, Archbishop Coakley, Oklahoma City, Bishop uh, Robert F.S. of Santa Rosa, Michael C. Barber of Oakland, uh, Joseph E. Strigland of Tyler, Texas, David Ricken from Green Bay, Thomas Paprocki of Springfield, uh, Donald Hying of Madison, James D. Conley of Lincoln, Liam Carey of Baker, and Thomas A. Daly of Spokane. There may be others, but those are the ones I, that I had on this particular list, and we just wanted to, as Catholics always say, we want our shepherds to stand up and it's our obligation to make sure that when they do stand up, that we stand behind them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's not cower at this critical point in our culture. I mean, look at what, what else is going on around us. I mean, I'm not saying this is responsible for the terrible tragedy in Texas. What I'm mm -hmm. saying, though, is, is that, you know, we have enough craziness going on in our culture. I mean, we got to start you know, turning the, 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 the tide of the culture by calling out really deceitful messages that are being forwarded there uh, politically mm -hmm. uh, to try and justify, a, a, you know, a politically expedient position that are horribly uh, wrong and deceitful and are deceiving other people. So, you know, right. my thought is, uh, um, you know, I'm, a, you know, I certainly agree with Archbishop Cordelione stand, and like right, I said, he absolutely. has every right to do it as shepherd of the church. Now, uh, I wanted to also get your take on this because uh, Ms. Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, went on a Joe Scarborough show uh, to talk mm -hmm. about how, you know, her reaction yeah. to this, and the host, Joe Scarborough, who's not Catholic as far as I know, uh, praised mm -hmm. her for living out the Gospel of Matthew by serving the quote-unquote truly disadvantaged. Jesus oh, does see. not mention abortion in the Gospels, Scarborough said. Instead, in Matthew 25, Jesus told his disciples, we'd be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven if we gave water to thirsty, fed the hungry, clothed the poor, and brought hope to the hopeless. And Pelosi said uh, that pro-life people largely reject this pro-life message, uh, this Gospel message. And thank you for res uh, re referencing the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which is a sort of the agenda of the church that is rejected by many uh, who, are, uh, who are concerned about the termination of pregnancy. More deceit 
and more sophistry. Mm -hmm. That is what that collection of baloney is. For all intents and purposes, there's no dichotomy between the chapter on Matthew to, to, uh, to um, help the poor and, and help the weak and help the imprisoned. I mean, let's face facts, first of all. Um, most of the people who are pro-life, uh, well, certainly, uh, uh, you know, in the Catholic Church, let's just start with the Catholic Church. As I've said in this program before, what is the largest, the largest public welfare organization in the entire world by far? It is the Catholic Church. What is the largest health care organization in the world by far? 26% of all health care organizations are run by by this one organization. It's the Catholic Church. What is the largest educational institution in the world by far? With 98,000 elementary schools and 48,000 uh, secondary schools and 1,900 colleges and universities worldwide by far. It's the Catholic Church. Hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? The Catholics who are pro-life reject this message? They live it out far more than Nancy Pelosi ever thought about. They live it out with their lives. They live it out with sacrifices. They live it out without government money. They live it out day to day, eking out small livings in their missionary dwellings. They live it out by making sacrifices for patients. They live it out by making sacrifices for orphans. What are you talking about? This is sophistry. This is pure baloney. And of course, that is what we call in logic the typical false dichotomy. Anyway, it makes me livid to hear it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be any emotional anymore. I'll just simply say this is baloney and it should be recognized as baloney. And I had not heard it before, right. but it should definitely, it's another, it's deceit compounding deceit. If you got a lie up front, you're going to have to lie to protect your lies. And of course, uh, the Catholic Church has shown in its actions and not just in its words, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what its metal is. And of course, it's pro-life, it's pro-alleviation um, uh, of poverty, it's mm -hmm. pro-alleviation of the plight of orphans, it's pro alleviation of sickness. It's pro-alleviation uh, of ignorance with education, etc. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, this right. is terrible that we should be subjected to that falsity when we live it out in action every day. Absolutely. Sorry. I know recently an interview was done with, uh, I think it was the governor of Arkansas, and he was talking about the bill that he signed uh, prohibiting abortion, I think, or, or something similar to it, uh, along with uh, certain limitations. And uh, the mm -hmm. reporter from CNN was very concerned over the fact that, you know, if you're going to cut down abortion, you're having trouble taking care of the poor kids you have now, with the inference being like somehow, uh, so what we're saying mm -hmm. is, if we have poor children, we should be eliminating them before they're born? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what the implication is, Doug. That's that, you know, the old eugenics message. Mm -hmm. You know, the best solution to poverty is to eliminate the poor. We've heard this from Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who came out and said, we don't want any cradle competitions with the poor and with the uneducated. And of course, uh, you know, again, I, the, the hateful terminology that is there, it makes me live it. I, I have to tell you, uh, you want to eliminate it because it is a false rhetoric. Killing people is not a way to alleviate 
alleviate their problems. Mm -hmm. Alleviating their problems is done the traditional Christ-like way. Mm -hmm. Rolling up your sleeves, working in the hospitals, working in the orphanages, working in the welfare uh, camps, working in um, the, the immigrant camps, working in the migrant camps. This is what the Catholic Church does, what it has always done. And of course, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the political situation is in Arkansas, but mm -hmm. I can tell you, uh, right. of course, the subtle message is eugenics. And of right. course, eugenics is as false as it's ever been, because it says in the commandments, mm -hmm. thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not kill the innocent, and thou shalt not kill the innocent to supposedly alleviate their poor social condition. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt not massly kill the poor and the oppressed, but instead thou shalt help them. The solution, of course, is love, not death. Absolutely. Anyway, I've said my piece, right. and I've overreacted, but I... No, you I haven't reacted. You, 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 you were right on the money, and it's, these are the things yeah. that need to be said, and there are plenty of people out there right now who are nodding in agreement and are happy to yeah. see someone uh, like yourself uh, speak the truth uh, to power, yeah. <laughs> as they say. Yeah. Let's go to some, uh, some questions here. Uh, Speaking of Planned Parenthood, just happened to be here. The first question, dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show you brought up an article about Planned Parenthood facilitating the gender transitioning of young people by supplying them with hormones. I know I, I brought that forward. I have a young relative who has been doing this for the past four years or so. They said they went to Planned Parenthood for the hormones. They were being encouraged and advised by someone they met on social media. Parents need to pay attention to what their kids are seeing on social media. Thank you again, and keep up the good work. And this is from Anonymous. Well, Anonymous, I'll just um, tell you this right now. Um, those uh, hormones are exceedingly dangerous, and they're exceedingly dangerous prior to puberty. It can change, uh, uh, you know, the, the, their, really the development of their brain. It can uh, alter their mood states uh, hugely. It is, th this is crazy stuff to be giving to a child uh, prior to, it's crazy stuff to be giving to a child after puberty. I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, this is not going to do them any good uh, psychologically and develop developmentally. So that's the first uh, problem. The second problem, which I have talked about before, which is documented by very good 30-year studies in Sweden, which of course is very friendly to the transgendered and so forth. If you look at the suicide rate of those who get a surgery, 10 to 15 years after the surgery, the suicide rate goes up not by 20%, but by 20 times, a staggering 20 times. So we're talking about 2,000%. I mean, I mean, it's like uh, unimaginable. You know, you got 40%, 45% of the population is killing themselves or something. You know, this, this is nuts. This is crazy. And so, you know, for we have to stop this right. uh, insanity. And of course, who, who is benefiting from it? Parents are being deceived by a medical community that is making, not, not the whole medical community, right. but some parts of the medical community that are making a lot of money off of this. And there are a lot of academics who have a kind of a, a framework of, you know, uh, what I call relativistic ideology that says that 
that your desire to be, uh, you know, another gender should be more respected than the biological gender with which you were born. Now, that subjectivist view over the objectivist view of, of reality, of course, is very big in many academic circles. The only problem is it's killing people. Mm -hmm. It's depressing people. The anxieties that they have are not caused by a man, you know, their, their thought that they're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. That's not the real cause. There's no genetic link uh, to, to such a syndrome or phenomenon. What it is, is as I've said before, is you have problems along the lines of, of uh, first of all, you know, 50 to 60 percent abuse of those kids. And of course, a huge percentage of those kids have high anxiety uh, in, in, the, uh, in the household. And, and normally it's the little boy who translates the mother's anxiety into, um, you know, he got born with the wrong gender, mom's mad at me. If I can just get changed up, my anxieties will be finished. And suddenly he has the desire to become a woman or something. And then of course there's, um, you know, a latent homosexual uh, difficulties that match in with those things. You combine all of it together. There's a self-hatred that manifests itself, and there's also, uh, you know, a, a, you know a, a deep, deep desire uh, to, uh, to have a different life. And that manifests itself as a different sexuality, as a different gender. And, of course, the solution is mm -hmm. let them go back to their natural gender, which most of them will do very naturally, even without therapy. But if you add therapy to the mixture, 90% or more are just going to go back to their natural gender, their, their biological gender. Gender very naturally, and, and um, you know, and not only that, they will um, uh, ha be minus the anxiety mm -hmm. if they get the therapy. And so this this is the normal solution to things. You don't go giving hormones to kids, right. you know, to prep them up. Uh, you know, for a transgender surgery, that's going to be utterly, you know. Um, destructive, you know, irresolvable in the future. You're not going to be able to turn it back. Um, you know, you, you, once you get rid of your reproductive uh, organs, you're not getting them back. And then finally, at the end of the day, to have buyer's remorse and, and the return of the anxieties, little wonder you have a 20 times increase right. in suicide rates. Absolutely. In fact, that's going to be the first question when we come back from our break. And it's interesting, too, because even some early trans people now are speaking out and saying that these, this is out of control and it's getting to be a fashionable yeah. thing. And we'll talk more yeah. about it with Father Spitzer if you stay with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Our topic is the cardinal virtues from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives. Interesting juxtaposition. We'll get into that in, in a bit. We'll get back to Father as a follow-up on a question that kind of dovetailed into what you really were talking about, Father. A person wrote to us, Dear Father Spitzer, in talking about the subject of teaching children about transgenderism in K through third grade, believe it or not, and how inappropriate <laughs> it is to say the least, the argument thrown back at me was that it is necessary because so many young people who had these tendencies committed suicide, just what you were talking about. I believe this is a false argument. Then they personally asked if you told the truth about the suicide cases and uh, also how you could argue against the educators who are using this kind of argument 
to promote this agenda. This is Mary. It is, pre yeah, Mary, it is precisely the opposite. Uh, I hate to say this, but the kids who do not get the surgery do not commit suicide anywhere near on the level as the ones who do get the surgery. So I, I hate to say it, this is precisely the opposite. So if you want to get the actual data, there's an article by um, two guys, Mayer and McHugh, and you can get the summary. They're two uh, professors at Johns Hopkins University, and they wrote this um, uh, article in Atlantic. Mm -hmm. But you can also, I think you can get now the complete study um, on which the Atlantic article was based on. You can get that, I believe, now on Google uh, through that Atlantic article. But Mayer mm -hmm. and McHugh, okay. and just, um, it's about transgenderism, and that will give you the true statistics. Um, again, we see that we live swimming in a world of deceit, right. where exactly the opposite uh, suicide statistics are preached with a straight face, it's, you know, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's, it's just as deceitful as I'm a devout, faithful Catholic, Catholic you know. Yeah, I mean, right. But I think abortion is yeah. perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, too. I, I, as an aside, I heard a particular a person who's fairly familiar with the quote-unquote Hollywood scene or the movie scene or out on the West mm. Coast said he could say anecdotally he's never been to a cocktail party out there that every one of the people attending it don't have one child who is either transgender or binary or somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, of course it's been, the, it's now the in thing. Right. You know, and as I said, we're becoming two cultures, really. Uh, we're becoming, you know, one group is, uh, believes in religion and some objective morality, uh, may, generally a lot of them, you know, Christian, Christian mm -hmm. objective morality, and another group believes in no objective morality, complete relativism, and believes in no religion. So, of course, that's, I'll just call that for abbreviated sake, secular society, secular culture. So now we've got, you know, the religious moral culture, we've got the secular culture, and that's, you know, that's what's really causing the division today because, man, there's, there's, it's a go for broke in both cultures, and both people want to fiercely defend um, their morality and their religious belief, uh, which is their transcendental nature and their conscience, mm -hmm. and some people want to negate it with all their passion to replace it with an autonomous view of freedom so that they can be their own God and their own morality, not responsible mm -hmm. to anything beyond themselves in a new sort of liberation movement. But let's just study those things for just a second, and let's just see who's happier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you can say, well, the religious people and the moral people are naively happier. Mm -hmm. uh, we really believe in the realistic thing. But in point of fact, of course the religious people and the moral people are happier. They're like triple the rate happier than, you know, if you look at these studies from the American Psychiatric Association or from Dr. Harold Koenig and other kinds of people. Religious people are just plain happier. They have a greater sense of dignity. They have a greater sense of hope. They have a greater sense of, of a, you know, of a future that is going to portend to something that, that, that really is, uh, uh, you know, worthy of their nature. They have a greater sense of their own transcendence and, and, and not just self 
self-transcendence, but transcendence to, to something of ultimate and absolute significance. Of course they are happier, but of course they're not naively happier. I mean, if you start looking at the facts for religion for just one second instead of machine gunning it in order to become your own god and to have your autonomous notion of freedom for just a second, you would see that the evidence for God, the soul, and Jesus is going right through the ceiling. I mean, just the other day, you know, we saw that, again, that there was the uh, uh, the new um, dating for the Shroud of Tur right, Turin, right. you know, we the wide angle right. uh, x-ray scattering. Of course, we now get a statement from the, the New York Academy of Sciences saying, you know, these near-death experiences, you know, the peer-reviewed medical studies and near-death experiences are so compelling mm. that we, the New York Academy of Sciences, think there just may well be something to it and accepted a consensus statement from the doctors who had been studying this as suggesting seriously that you have a transphysical soul that will survive bodily death. Hey, that's nice to know. I mean, you know, uh, you know, people are now in the scientific community, the so-called legits, are saying, you know, there's something to this. The terminal lucidity studies, there's something to this. I right. think we as scientists have to admit it. And now, of course, you've got Stephen Hawking joining the ranks in 2016 uh, of those who say that an infinite uh, multiverse with eternal inflation is not possible. We don't develop out of a fractal multiverse where we have remnants of that fractal multiverse in our universe. That's just simply not right. And if we don't have a fractal multiverse, let's just face facts, everybody. We don't have an infinite multiverse. We don't have eternal inflation. What Hertog and Hawking are saying is you right. gotta have a beginning. And the beginning implies a creator. Wow. And that beginning which implies a creator implies an intelligent creator to explain the fine-tuning of our universe. Hey, the facts are going in our direction. There you go. Not in so who are the naive people? Absolutely. The naive people are the secularists and they keep their myth up. So I'm just saying, you know, at right. the end of the day, let's just well, call I'm, it like it is. Well, I'm happy to hear there's no internal inflation. Uh, we've got enough problems already. <laughs> We don't need it to be internal or eternal, I should say, either way. So we, we don't need any more problems. Right. One last question before we get to your book, just because it's having to do with somebody dealing with their, their child, their grandchild. Dear Father Spitzer, my eight-year-old hmm. grandson has developed psychological problems. He's been acting out to his parents, teachers, schoolmates, sometimes violently. His parents have begun to seek help from a psychologist. I suggested to my son that this little boy needs God in his life. My son was raised Catholic, but seems to have lost his faith when he went away to college. What a surprise, and has ignored my suggestion. What can I do now, Mary? Well, Mary, I think there's just two things. Uh, first of all, uh, the psychologist uh, w can and uh, help that uh, child. And I think, you know, the, you know before, you know, you put him on um, some drugs uh, to, to rectify it, uh, I think, you know, obviously, if that boy had some sense of hope and faith, I'm telling you, if they have a sense of God, of religion, of eternity, of something of absolute and ultimate significance, it's going to make all the difference in the world. And it does make all the difference in the world. I don't know how old this little boy is, but if he's reached the state of reason, eight years old, I think, honestly, um, you know, you might just ask your son, whether you could present some material uh, to that little boy. Mm -hmm. I've got, if you go to CredibleCatholic.com, uh, I just ask you to, to just show him 
the first set of uh, videos, um, you know, on near-death experiences, just to show that to him, and then show him the fourth uh, videos called Module 4 on the seven essential modules, one and four. That's the one on the Shroud of Turin and Jesus. Just kind of start there, um, you know, for him and just say, hey, you know, there's very, very likely to be a God. Uh, you might have a transphysical soul. Here's Jesus and here's what he means. And ask your son, can I just teach him a little bit about Jesus? If you don't want to teach him, I would like to teach him a little bit right. about Jesus, to teach him a little bit about, there's a lot of good uh, childhood catechisms um, that he can learn from and some very, very right. good uh, picture Bibles uh, that are about Jesus and just start there. Right. But if he's a skeptical eight-year-old and an intelligent skeptical eight-year-old, just use modules one and four. So you go to CredibleCatholic.com, click on seven essential modules, and then show him the videos on Module 1 and Module 4, and that will get him going. I think uh, that will overcome the skepticism right. right away. And then once you got that, start actually teaching him what Jesus said. Start teaching him about, you know, the father of the prodigal son. Start teaching him about what Jesus said about, you know, um, you know the the kingdom of heaven. Start teaching right. him a little bit about yes, the catechism, a lot and the of, sacraments. Uh, a lot of grandparents really have that opportunity because a lot yeah, of them mind, mind their children. Are, you know, are, are spending yep. a lot of times uh, caretaking, and a lot of people yeah. have found watching EWTN Kids or getting some of those great CCC videos, you know, on Fatima and other things, uh, you know, are wonderful mm -hmm. introductions. And and like you were saying, mm -hmm. even you know, we've seen where people you know, have started to inculcate, you know, when they're over with grandma, always say grace before meals and things like that. Oh, yeah. And, and the child starts to bring up these practices that they themselves find comforting and want yeah. to have, oh, have yeah. them instituted say, in their own family, right? Yeah, and just ask if you can take the child to church. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though he might be violently acting out, you might just say, you know, uh, well, let me at least take him to church, see if I can bring him to the back of the church and see, you know, if he's eight years old, you know, just maybe whether he'd want to, you know, look at going to mm -hmm. church. He might say, I'm bored by it, you know, I'd rather watch football or something. Mm -hmm. But just try and get him there um, and see, you know, if you can then discuss those two modules in CredibleCatholic.com mm -hmm. with him to talk about the evidence for Jesus and God and that might make it a little bit more concrete in his life. And then once that happens, you know, I think right. um, uh, you could start really educating him. And that, I'm really convinced, will bring down that level of anxiety. Because, you know, eight-year-old kids, you know, let's face it. Remember when I, uh, in previous shows, I talked about that feeling of emptiness, alienation, loneliness, and dread and guilt. Kids feel it just like adults do. When they have no connection with God, they feel the same sense of alienation and emptiness. They need absolute meaning. They need absolute significance. They need hope in an eternity. Mm -hmm. They have a transcendental nature of for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home that needs to be fed. Right. If you don't give them religion, you give them nothing. They are unfed in the highest and, and most, you know, uh, 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 potentially, um, you know, uh, uh, uplifting mm -hmm. dimension of their being. Uh, you just starve it to death. Right. And what happens at the end of that? You breed a cynic. And a child who's a cynic, 
oh my gosh. I mean, they act out. Right. They're alienated. They're empty. They're filled with dread and guilt. They, they, they see no meaning. Of course they act out. And, and because we were, as St. Augustine right. said, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless. They're, you know, alienated and lonely until they rest in thee. Right. Let's go to the book, so. how, to, how the Devil Works, and talking about in the closing 10 minutes or so, uh, sure. about Satan's tactics. Now, you talk about the cardinal virtues. Now, those aren't virtues just for cardinals. Those are actually <laughs> ones where we're all supposed to be involved. I think cardinal has something to do with hinge or something, as I recall. Uh, exactly. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting with these, uh, and I, I, we talked to some other time, you got prudence, temperance, fortitude, etc. And the, the one that's missing here is tolerance. I thought tolerance was the greatest virtue we had today. How come that's not on well, the list? <laughs> no, no, uh, actually tolerance isn't on the list. Now, of course, tolerance is an important social virtue in a sense that we should have, but it's not a cardinal virtue mm. at all. In other words, it can't be a virtue that stands out as a good in itself. To tolerate injustice is a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. to, you know, so uh, to, to tolerate evil, it, it, you know, as Edmund Burke told us, is, is a terrible thing. So tolerance is not a cardinal virtue because it can never be an end in itself mm -hmm. because it's always relative to what you're being oh, okay. tolerant toward. Right. Okay. So you, you have ends outside of the tolerance. So, but if you're tolerant of a person's opinion, that's very nice so long as the opinion is not evil and unjust or patently false or all the deceits we've been talking about. You don't, you shouldn't tolerate falsity. You tolerate uh, injustice, tolerate evil, tolerate hateful behaviors and so forth. Mm -hmm. So tolerance is not one of the cardinal hinge virtues that have goodness mm -hmm. in themselves. Prudence has goodness in itself. Justice has goodness in itself. Mm -hmm. Of course, temperance has goodness in itself. And of course, um, you know, fortitude and cur slash courage right. has goodness in itself. Let me ask you, two, so of, these, the, two of these things here, mm -hmm. though, you, 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 I mean, kind of fortitude, people kind of appreciate that. Okay, they, you know, stick-to-itiveness yeah. and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. Storge or whatever, work through things. And then mm -hmm. you've got, obviously, justice, where everybody's into justice, especially social justice. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But the other two, prudence and temperance. You know, temperance yeah. doesn't seem to be a particularly popular one today. No, but temperance is really important because what temperance is, is the internal ability to say no to your passions when your passions become destructive and evil and unjust and false. So remember, we have to always be responsible to the truth and mm -hmm. to goodness and to love and, and if we're not and to God. And if we're not responsible to those four things, which are ends higher than ourselves, then we're in real trouble. Well, sometimes our passions can you know, direct us in a way that is destructive mm -hmm. of those objectives. So uh, our passions can push us to f lies and deceits and falsity and evil and, and genocide and, 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 you know, truly hateful and, you know, uh, you know very, very um, uh, overbearing and terrible positions opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. And so when you look at all of these terrible things of injustice and evil, if you, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't, you have to 
temper those temper those passions mm -hmm. to uh, you know you know push them down to say no to them before they not only destroy you which they will but they are going to destroy the people around you and of course if you have a political position you might advocate the genocide of nice little innocent kids so i mean the idea is yeah you should get those passions you know, tempered, mm -hmm. that is to say, push down, you know, to, to, to keep, you know, put the old halter uh, on them. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing, of course, is, um, is uh, uh, you know, um, uh, I forgot what you when mentioned. Prudence, oh, yeah, prudence. Prudence, you know. Yeah. Uh, prudence is another yeah. one of carrots. The word prude is in there, so usually it's kind of yeah. prudence, <laughs> Forgot about that. Right. Yeah, but actually prudence just means wisdom. Mm. Uh, wisdom means knowing what's important and what's not important. Knowing what's truly good versus what's evil. Knowing what's truly just versus what's unjust. So, you know, Aristotle would have called that kind of person the spudayas, right? The, the, the wise person, the one who has a sense of God and good and justice and truth, the one that really knows uh, the direction that one must go. And so, you know, you're always presented with a lot of possible options, and in this culture, with gazillions of possible options. Mm -hmm. And so having prudence, this ability to know where the compass is pointing toward truth, love, goodness, beauty, and mm -hmm. God, you know, in a very, uh, you know, direct way, mm -hmm. um, and the highest possible way of achieving those, uh, that's what prudence is. So it's like, uh, you know, the the queen of the virtues. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if love and compassion for Jesus is sort of the top virtue, uh, prudence and justice are following definitely in its wake, and temperance and fortitude are needed to be truly loving, to be truly just, to be truly prudent. You're going to have to have some halter on the uh, some regulator on the passions and you're going to need that stick to itness and right. that push to, to, to get over the hurdles when times get rough and when you don't want to commit yourself anymore after you committed yourself to follow through on your commitments right. and get it done and to live up to your word that those virtues are what we call you know the necessary means virtues to getting love and truth and goodness um, and justice done. Well, prudential and prudence kind of rolls right into judgment, and and today judgment seems to be a bad thing for you to decide what what one thing is good and one thing is bad. I mean, who are you to make that decision? <laughs> Well, I tell you, that's where you get the sophistry of contemporary secularity. Mm -hmm. I mean, the secular culture does actually advocate, you know, crazy sophistries like this. And we have to deal with them all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, uh, it, you know, it's part of, you know, living in the culture. But you just have to call it for what it is. You just have to say, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course, you have to make a judgment. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to look for the best thing. I mean, not to do this is to give up your practical reason, Aristotle would say. That would be like giving yourself a lobotomy. Mm -hmm. Just carve out your brain if you don't want to make a practical judgment mm -hmm. about goodness and truth and, right. and religion or God and love. Just carve out your brain. Now, you, you talk about, oh, wow. here, about uh, practicing uh, these particular uh, virtues here and the cardinal virtues. Yeah. You talk about a virtue and a habit. How are those related together? 
Well, virtues are like habits. Okay. I mean, virtues just, you know, a habit just means that it's a firmly ingrained thing and that uh, the ancients meant it becomes second nature to you. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you're born with a primary nature with various propensities. So if you feel hungry, even a little baby wants to get some food, right? So that, that would be like your primary nature. But you can also create a secondary nature. So a nature, uh, you know, that a second nature where you just when times get rough, mm -hmm. you just get going. You just keep figuring out things. You find backup plans. You find ways of getting around the obstacles. You, you know, you, you're getting over the obstacles. Mm -hmm. And you find the internal fortitude to just keep going. And, and that can become a habit. And, and when that becomes a habit, you become a very efficacious person. And it's the same thing with temperance. You gotta say no at some time, at some point, uh, because it's, it's a good thing for you and good thing for the people around you. Mm -hmm. You may say, I'd like a second, third, fourth, and fifth scotch, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's really gonna be dumb. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna be prudent. And so you think, yeah, am I, if by drinking the third scotch, and am I going to grow closer to truth, love, goodness, beauty, justice? I don't think so. I think I'm going to turn into a hazy idiot. And so, of course, you think, okay, if that's the case, maybe I should skip the third scotch. Right. And when you say, no, I'm not going to just say maybe I should. I will do it. Mm -hmm. And when that becomes habitual, that's a virtue. In other words, that, that habit of knowing how to temper your passions when your passions are directing you toward imprudence, unlove, injustice, and irreligiosity. Right, and, and by the third scotch, the fourth and fifth don't seem so bad. So you're even <laughs> in, in worse shape usually with those kind of things, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. You also, in, in the last minute and a half, I don't know if we got time to do this, but you talk about philosophers have long noticed that feelings transform thoughts into actions because you're talking about people with yeah. actions. But yeah. we, how do we control our feelings? Aren't feelings just things that just happen to us? Yeah, well, that's it. You know, uh, feelings are not things that, that happen to us. I mean, we can have what's called rational kinds of feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Rationally induced feelings versus free-floating uh, uh, and, uh, you know, anxieties and feelings versus spontaneous feelings and so forth and so on. So the, the first thing you, you got to ask yourself is, well, what kind of a feeling is this? Is this a, a feeling that's coming out of my idealism? Uh, is it coming out of my rationally thought out idealism? Is this coming out of my rationally thought out morality? Now, just a while back, I got a little livid uh, because of hearing some deceits, which I thought would be very deceitful and harmful to a lot of people. And so those deceits made me angry. But that anger proceeded from uh, something inside of me, an ideal for truth, a love of God, a love of morality, a love of decency, and a love of justice. And so I see these things as contradictory, these deceits as contradictory to that and, and undermining those things. And that's, of course, this feeling comes up. And so Aristotle would say, wait, that's rationally based idealism toward, you know, love and goodness and justice. So your feeling that's coming up there, of course, you want it to be rationally modulated. But at the same time, 
you want that feeling to motivate you to action, to right. call and that's a deceit. And that's why I have a feeling we're just about out of time, so I'm going to have to ask you <laughs> to give us your blessing. If you very fine. That's a very good feeling. Right. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord who truly manifests the wisdom, the love, the truth, and the goodness of the ages, nay, wisdom, love, truth, goodness, beauty itself, may that Lord influence you through his Holy Spirit, direct, protect, and guide you through that Holy Spirit unto your salvation and the salvation of those you touch. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Always great to be with you. We shall see you next time. And remember, Father Spitzer's books and tapes and DVDs are all available through EWTN's religious catalog. His books are wonderful. Check them out. We're going to finish off Cardinal Virtues uh, next week, so make sure you stay with us. Bookmark this week, The Truth About Clergy Sexual Abuse, Clarifying the Facts and the Causes, the one and only Bill Donahue, always an explosive interview. And I Am Fire, the story of a hard-living man inspired to become a priest. It's coming up this Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, so check that out and check us out as we can. See you each week here in Father Spitzer's Universe. We'll be waiting for you.